You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. This is a special edition. This is our final Fridays live from Brandman University with our first live audience. And boy, is the room packed. And we'll be doing this on the final Friday of every month, so check your calendar. The next one will be Friday, April 25th. And we'll be talking about the millennials, which I see a few of them here in the audience today. Hopefully you'll be back and bring some of your friends. We want to know how to leverage this valuable asset in our companies moving forward. Critical Mass Radio Show has been on the air since 2009. We are broadcasting live, streaming on octalkradio.net. And we're excited to be trying a new format for the radio program to bring the audience more intimately close with our panelists, which we have three of today. For those of you that are listening live, in the room we have Adam Chapnick. He is Principal Evangelist for Indiegogo. (laughs) We'll see how the applause go for popularity after the show, and we'll just test the quality of the content. Tori Tayanaka is co-founder and CEO of Sparkhouse. And Kathy Margolin, Associate Dean of Brandman University. Yeah. Streaming live on OC Talk Radio is exciting, and we've been doing that, as I said, for a number of years. And I'd like to start the way we start our in-studio shows, which is to ask each of our guests to spend just a few minutes giving us a little appreciation for their professional background. We say on the radio program, their path to their current position. So for those of you on radio who can't see, to our father's right is Adam. So I'm going to ask Adam Chapnick to go first, and then we'll just move down the panel. Feel free to give us a kind of a sense for your background, Adam. Sure. So um, I'm Adam from Indiegogo. Hey, everybody. Woo! So <laughs> my personal background will uh, bore you. So I'll give you the sort of the, the, the nutshell which is um, I started a company called Distribber, which was a way to put independent films directly onto iTunes, Hulu, Netflix, and things like that for a flat fee. It was a way that um, independent filmmakers could have distribution without a distributor. And um, at the time, uh, when Indiegogo started, it was uh, the first crowdfunding platform that is what we call crowdfunding today. Um, But they were all in film. And so back in 2009... Uh, we contemplated that it would be a great idea to not only give filmmakers a way to raise money for, for their films, but also to spend that money and get distribution without a pesky distributor. So I sold the company to Indiegogo, merged it with them, and joined in late 2009, early 2010, and then uh, have been with them ever since. But right after that, we opened up from film to everything, and suddenly that's when this whole phenomenon took off and crowdfunding started to become what it is today. So Right now, Indiegogo, we are now where? 2014. We're the world's largest crowdfunding platform. We have over 190,000 campaigns. We have roughly seven or 8,000 campaigns live at any given time. We are in creative, cause, entrepreneurial. We're in U.S. dollars, Canadian dollars, pounds, Australian dollars, euros. We're in English, French, Spanish, Spanish, German, uh, and we're all over the world. We have campaigns in virtually every country on earth. 
So it's been a hell of a ride, and it's a lot of fun, and I love helping people understand how crowdfunding is able to disrupt pretty much every single space on earth to benefit people like you and me. So that's me. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. It's great to have you here, and I think we should give him one more round of applause. He came all the way from Los Angeles on a Friday afternoon to be here with you. Doesn't that speak? And he has to get home for a personal event this evening, so we've got to make sure we end on time, right? Oh, Am yes. I giving out too much information here on the radio no, show? No, no. I, I think this is important that everybody really accommodate me. Yes. Just me. It's all about you. That's right. That's right. Thanks for having me out here. For those listening in the live audience or maybe from Apple iTunes or Stitcher.com or one of the other podcasting services that we use, today's show's title is Crowdfunding as a Strategic. Strategic Financing Option for Middle Market CEOs. And that's really going to be part of the focus, although we have a number of entrepreneurs that I see in the room here today, and we're very open to questions from the audience. One of the unique opportunities of a live radio show like this is to give the audience a chance to deliver real feedback person to person. On the radio show in the studio, we get text messages and other ways that we communicate, but I'm excited to have you in the same room as our as our guests on the radio show. So, without any further ado, Kathy, you're the last one to give your intro. Yes, I'm Kathy Margolin. I'm an Associate Dean of Business and Professional Studies at Brandman University, part of the Chapman University system. Our mission is to be the leader, innovative leader in adult education. One of my passions, of course, uh, is entrepreneurship. My husband uh, has 27 patents, just got his last one last year, and so I've been in the entrepreneurial market for years knowing everything is going on, and also um, focusing a little bit on guerrilla marketing, which is a little bit what we're doing here. And then also um, one of my passions is researching crowdfunding. Excellent. Let's give it up for Kathy. Thank you. Each month, the Critical Mass radio show, Final Fridays, live from Brandman University, will feature a Brandman professor and a number of members from the business community. So I want to say to the live audience that's both here in the room, that's listening to the stream on octalkradio.net, if you know of panelists or would like to be a panelist for a future installment of Critical Mass, co- uh, sorry, Critical Mass Live, uh, then let us know and we can discuss our planned topics for the next 12 months here at Brandman University. Uh, I think we should uh, take our first question, and then after you answer this question, we'll take our first commercial break. Is that okay? And I'm going to direct the question to Adam, who is Principal Evangelist with Indiegogo. Adam, can you discuss the trends that you're seeing in your firm and in the market, which middle market companies are using to turn crowdfunding into a financial option for their business? Sure. So... I think what's exciting in crowdfunding right now for, you know, the business community, you know, we have every kind of campaigner you can imagine on our site and virtually, I'd say a majority of them would characterize themselves as business people. But I think I'm going to not talk about all of them and just kind of focus on some of the, the second generation ways that people are relating to crowdfunding. So, the first thing I say is it's called crowdfunding, and that makes most people who come to it excited because it sounds like, woo, I get free money funding from the crowd, strangers, just people I don't know are going to give me free money. Let's do this. Easy sell, right? I and think that's, that's why we're here. Right. That's why everyone's here. That's why they always show up first. Um, so 
what's that has been the first wave of participation among businesses is, oh, I have a business. Hey, look, there's a website where I can get free money from strangers. Let's do that, too. And my business will be more profitable. And some some campaigners have gone and said, oh, I want to raise money um, to, you know, expand my restaurant or it's been, you know, whatever, small business to I have an idea for a gadget and I want some money and that'll fund the development and the production. And, and that happens. And people have been successful with those. But more people in the in the beginning failed. And so now people are getting sophisticated with crowdfunding, which is what's exciting to me, because there are certain fundamentals that people are starting to understand that enables a business to leverage crowdfunding so it can do all the things that it um, it is capable of. One of them is um, testing a market, validating an idea. That's a really powerful use of the crowd, where if you have some new idea, new concept, and you don't want to just build it and then open your business and cross your fingers and hope people show up and give you money, you can actually bring it to market as a concept in a crowdfunding campaign. You can um, make a terrific video if you have someone like Tori. You can get you know some kind of a 3D printed sample that might look like a prototype. You can do you make your case, whether it's a service or a product. You can make that case to the crowd in a presentation that's essentially free um, on Indiegogo. And how the crowd responds to you is a powerful bit of information. Either they're going to fund the hell out of you and you're going to you know, go dancing down the street and have a successful business, or maybe there'll be crickets and tumbleweeds and you'll be like, hmm, something wasn't there. So why they're crickets and tumbleweeds, it used to be people thought, oh, this website doesn't work. There's no money. I didn't get any money. It must be a broken website, <laughs> right? But right. now what's good is that people are starting to realize a couple of things. One is that you have to have three things working in concert for crowdfunding to work, at least. The three I'm talking about are you have to have a thing that is cool. Let's call it cool. I mean, it could be useful or good or whatever you want to call it, but subjectively good, right? You could have a sucky thing, and I don't care what you do. No one will give you money for it. That should not be a surprise, okay? <laughs> so people are surprised by this. <laughs> Figured well, there's somebody out there for well, everything. Well, it's a website. <laughs> I put my sucky thing up. Why didn't I get money? It's what it says it does. It crowdfunds. Why didn't it do it? That's what they say. It won't do it if your thing is sucky. Second, the way you talk about your thing must be good. Okay? But good is subjective. But it also correlates very carefully to number three, which is who your initial audience is. Because this is a very fundamental thing to understand about crowdfunding that argues against the idea that it's free money from strangers. Why? This is very important. Asterisk. Open your ears if you're texting. Put down your phone. While 70, 80 percent, there are a lot of campaigns. Sorry, there are a lot of campaigns on Indiegogo that are 70, 80, 90 percent funded by entire, totally strangers, people who did not know you before they encountered your campaign. That happens every day. But while that happens. None of those strangers will give you money first. And when I say those strangers, I mean you and I. If we go to a website where we see a campaign and we love it, it's got a product we love or a service we love, the pitch is great and we're sold and it has perks like, oh my gosh, I get a cool thing and it's 50 bucks and I want to give it money, I look at the success bar and it says $1,000 raised out of a $175,000 goal. And I'm like, well, I... I'm not going to be the next sucker to give $50. This isn't happening, right? We do this. It's not just strangers. This is humans. So what we know is that strangers, even if they're sold, 
will not contribute until 20 to 30% of your stated goal is met. Okay? So if you know that, that will empower you in a hundred different ways that I'm sure we can talk about later because I'm going on and on, but I'm just last thing. The third thing is if you know that you have to get to 20 to 30% before strangers will give you money, who gives you the 20 to 30%? (laughs) Non-strangers, a.k.a. what I call your first circle, which is sometimes literally your friends and your family, depending on how big your circle is, but it's also people who just know that you are a human who does things that the human says the human will do. It can be your social media. It could be an existing customer base. It could be a newsletter. It could be a blog readership. It could be all those things, but they're your first circle, and they have to fund the first 20% of your goal. Okay, so then the third thing that I said, you've got the first thing, your thing can't be sucky. The second thing, you, the way you talk about it has to be good. And the third thing is the, the people to whom you are speaking have to match the first and second thing. So if you are making a horror movie, I have a great idea for a horror movie. I, it's going to be bloody and awful and it's going to be graphic and it's going to be whatever, and I have a great way of talking about horror movies because I'm a horror movie filmmaker, and I have a million people on my list, and they are from the, like, Quakers Association of Pacifist Entertainment, whatever. (laughs) You might have a million people, but they are the wrong million people. So you have to analyze all three of those things, and that will set you up for success. And so in business right now, people are starting to understand that, and they're coming already with those things checked off. And so then there's really exciting things that are happening, like, and we I can talk about those in a minute. Anyway. I think that was a great way to open the show, so should we show them a little love? Yeah. All right, we're, we're going to take our first commercial break here on Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. When we come back, I'm going to ask Tori Tayanaka to talk about his firm's exa- experience with crowdfunding, and we'll be back after these words from our commercial sponsors. Commercial Bank of California, or CBC, is a well-funded, full-service bank located in the heart of Orange County. When it comes to safety and stability, CBC has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top 6% in the nation. Commercial Bank of California was founded in 2003 by a group of Orange County's finest entrepreneurs. To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willie of Fidelity National Financial, to name a few. In short, we are a bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.combancal.com. Member FDIC. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation. 
safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insights to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass, live from Brandman University. This is our final Friday show. It's our first one with a live audience. We have a panel, and we're talking about crowdfunding as a strategic option for middle market firms. We'd like to thank and acknowledge those of you that listen to our show as a podcast. Last month, you downloaded over 11,000 copies of our radio show, and we here at the program really appreciate your continued and growing support. All right, before the break, I said we're going to ask Tori Tayanaka, who is co-founder and CEO of Sparkhouse, if he could share his experience with crowdfunding. Um, I think the term that was used by Adam was fund the hell out of your project. So <laughs> if you have any experience like that, Tori, would you share that with our live audience and our radio show audience? Um, so about a year ago, uh, our agency stepped into crowdfunding for the first time, and we had a client come to us that wanted to launch a product through Indiegogo. Um, it was our first time um, really stepping into it. We've done a lot of research, um, especially being at film school, knowing what Indiegogo is all about, knowing how it works. But really, we didn't step into knowing how much work it was going to take to make a real successful campaign. And that was where um, I think I was blown away by the amount of time and prep that it was going to take um, to not only create a video, but create the award tiers, be prepared for the questions that you're going to get asked by the crowd. If you become really popular, um, especially with crowdfunding, most people that are launching on, on the websites aren't companies yet. They want to be a company. And so how, how can you be a company that's not a company yet and still take all the questions and emails and calls and all these different things that you're going to get if you get really popular? But so our first campaign was called the Kite Patch, and we raised um, over five hundred thousand dollars in forty-five days. Um, <laughs> and so since then, all of our clients just keep asking us, "Can we do that?" <laughs> exactly what you guys did. Um, but it comes down to what Adam was saying. Um, there's so many things that have to line up um, to make the crowd work, and so it, there was a lot of things that had to happen. Um, you had to have a really good product. You can't lie, which it seems like there's a lot of people out there just lying about what their product can do, um, and you can see right through that. And so um, what we're pushing to our clients is be as honest as possible. Look for the amount of money that you actually need. There's a lot of scams going on saying we need 10 times more than we actually need or we need five times less than we actually need to try to hit that 20% mark to say, hey, we're fully funded, but now they don't have enough money to actually execute what they're doing. Um, 
and cre- just don't talk too big about your product, but let's create something that people can connect with and um, yeah, like it's the crowd, so it's not you're not Pepsi. Make something authentic, and and we'll see if the audience likes it or not. Thank you very much. Appreciate your answer to the question. I'd like to ask Kathy Margolin, who's associate dean. You know, what research and trends are is Brandman University seeing in this area in the space of crowdfunding? Okay, um, one of the things that I wanted to let the audience know: there's a number of different types of crowdfunding. Uh, Indiegogo is more rewards-based, but you're also into the charity or donation function. And you also have the equity funding uh, is another possibility, and that's more for, I would think, more established companies that are looking for maybe a specific project that they're funding. But what I'm seeing is the rewards-based is more testing a new product, seeing if does the market really like it or not? You know, do I want to, before I spend money into really getting into this business, or if the company just wants to test market something, you know, maybe um, my marketing campaign is off, and I can test that on one of the crowdfunding websites. So that's some of the things that they're using it for. Um, but be aware, if your crowdfunding campaign goes bad, that could also affect any of your future angel or investor funding because they'll see that out there. The advantage is it's public. The disadvantage is it is public. Mm-hmm. So always put your best foot forward. Um, we're seeing a lot of things happening in things like niche markets. Um, one of our students uh, works for a commercial real estate company, and they went out for, they have a commercial investment up in L.A., you know, a project. Uh, it's an LLC, I think. And they put that out on real crowd. Uh, they paid a flat fee, uh, and they were able to get like 75% of their funding within the first couple weeks, I think. Uh, the thing is, the company, as a commercial real estate company, has no problem getting funding for these projects because they, they do well. And, you know, people know the business. But... The question is they wanted to reach a new market, and that's one of the reasons why people go to crowdfunding, because it's a new, different, and vibrant market. I mean, how many new people? I mean, you've attracted so much more and a huge market, um, and it gives you a better flavor for what people think of your product or your uh, potential. Um, One of the things that I'm seeing is some of the things like that may go on a uh, a basic crowdfunding site. Um, an example was Oculus that made like 921 million, and then they got bought up by Facebook. Now everybody that put their money into the crowdfunding is upset because it's like, well, why don't you give me that part of the money? So there's going to be some, uh, as you mentioned before, some scam artists out there. So people will be a little hesitant on some items, but you've got to really market it and be able to um, get the interest of everybody. Now, that's the advantage is you get a whole new crowd. Uh, You have one product. You're selling it in Orange County. You don't have a big marketplace. Now you have the world. You have the globe. You have Australia. You have U.K., Um, 
all sorts of places. Now, for equity funding, one of the things that we're looking at is uh, the SEC uh, passed, the, there was a Jobs Act bill that was passed. For equity funding, one of the problems they're running into is the equity f- part of the crowdfunding has been proposed. It hasn't been approved yet. So there are going to be more limitations on equity funding. Um, and for small businesses to get through that equity funding hurdle, they're going to be having to file with the SEC, have qualified investors. Um, until it actually works out or the bills get changed, there's actually going to be a little bit of shakeout probably in that area. So, so that's an interesting area to watch. So always looking for something new and exciting. Okay? Thank you. We have about five minutes about five minutes left until the next. Uh, yeah, that's right. We should give her some love. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. I'm watching the engineer, and thank you, Dr. Deborah Ferber, for telling me and reminding me of our behaviors. You're, you're great. You're wonderful. Okay. I'd like to come back up to Adam, and um, I, th- I think we brought some subjects out on the table that I'd like, from your perspective, a little more information. In other words, what can you expect and offer and reward you? your participants in crowdfunding with? Uh, we heard a little bit about equity. Can, can you help us to understand kind of the current state of what is available and, and allowed through crowdfunding? Sure. So um, just to clear it up in case there's confusion, um, Indiegogo does not offer equity crowdfunding because true crowdfunding for equity hasn't been made legal yet, just to make clear. That's amplifying on the last comments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, Lots of great things are um, always being offered by businesses in, uh, on Indiegogo as rewards. And there are a lot of different kinds of businesses that, that have profited from using different kinds of rewards. Obviously, there are hard rewards, you know, like give me well, typical ones at the lowest end, one to five to ten bucks or thank yous, social media shout outs, things like that. There are um, pride of involvement awards like um, we will put your name on a wall of fame either physically or virtually, like you'll be on the website forever as a benefactor or something like that. But some places like we've seen, there's a, there's a beer garden in, in uh, Koreatown in L.A. actually that did an add-on example where they, they built a terrace outside and they, they had everybody who gave it a certain level got their name in one of the slats of the, uh, you know, of the, of the add-on. And then for a few, whatever, some larger amount of money, um, you could get your own seat in the corner on Sunday morning between 10 and 12. Uh, for another amount, you could name a sandwich, you could name a beer, you could name a drink, you could do all these things. Um, the more engaging you can make your rewards, actually, the more popular they will be, um, in fact. Um, of course, when you have a, a pre-launch product, obviously sometimes that's just the most exciting thing for people. So if you make some new kind of gadget um, and it's never been seen before, people will just plunk down money to get it. But if you are an existing business, um, and this happens a lot and people don't realize this, but there are you know totally funded firms that decide they're going to do a crowdfunding campaign as a marketing tactic. And I'm here to tell you that you should start thinking of crowdfunding as a marketing tactic, not as a fundraising anything. Forget about funds, because the major benefit of crowdfunding is reaching people in a wider way, but also in a more engaged way than has ever been possible. Crowdfunding is a retail tactic. Retail! 
What I mean is, instead of just being able to transact money for a thing at the store, people who really love what you're doing can give more money and get the thing and involvement and an, a relationship with you, the brand, the difference you're making in the world, whatever it is that you're, you're up to. As for perks, we've seen things like a certain amount of money gets you a lifetime discount, of 10%. More money gets you a lifetime discount of 15%. More money gets you a life that you get it. And then there's, uh, these are just kind of not your first thought things in the perk realm. But the more you can think about marketing, the more you can think about deeply engaging people who never had an opportunity to engage with a brand. And at the end of the day, the line item on your, on your spreadsheet for marketing may end up being black. If you think of it that way, that the number is a black number for marketing, that is the revolution of crowdfunding. Does that make sense? Wow, that deserves a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so I think we've had a couple teachable learning moments so far here on Critical Mass, live from Brandman University, Final Fridays. I think the uh, idea that we take a break now is probably a good one. My engineer is giving me the motion that we're going to do that. So for those of you listening to the stream live on octalkradio.net, don't go anywhere because when we come back after our three-minute commercial break, we're going to open up the questioning now to this room full of people who came to hear our panelists talk, and we'll see what kind of questions come from the audience after these words from our commercial sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results, a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. 
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes. 714-210-2460. Donate. Volunteer. Invest. Hire. Welcome back to this edition of Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. This is our first show of many every fr- every month on the last Friday of the month. We'll be broadcasting from 1 to 2.30 p.m. live here in Brandman University in Irvine, California at 16355. Laguna Canyon Road, Irvine, California. This month we're in room 120. Don't know what it will be next month. Maybe we'll need a bigger room. Who knows? But we'll certainly be somewhere in this wonderful facility on their campus. I'd like to thank you for listening live or as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher.com, or one of the other podcasting services that we use. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have an exciting panel and an even more exciting audience. And this is the part of the show where we're opening it up to questions from the audience, and I see that we had a hand raised in the back. Would you please stand up and say your question, and I may have to rephrase it so for, the, for the live audience on the radio, so keep it short. So the question that came from the audience was, what's the proportion of fir- firms that actually get funding through crowdfunding versus those that do not? And Adam, I'll look to you to answer that. So Indiegogo is... Uh, unique in the crowdfunding world because we created something called flexible funding, which is um, a form of a structure of a crowdfunding campaign where you can keep your money whether or not you reach your goal. So that the reason I answer your question by starting that way is that um, given that that's the case, the number is somewhere like 90%. Um, but listening to what I'm saying, I'm not saying that 90% of businesses reach their goal. You asked what percentage of businesses get funding. And so, but it's, the reason that we created flexible funding back in the day, when we started, we were entirely an all or nothing model. We call it fixed funding, meaning you set your goal in a deadline. If you come short of that goal, you get nothing. But because of our users' frustration and despair with that uh, structure, they begged us to create something else where the, they could have some fruit of their work, even if they were wrong in picking a uh, goal that they didn't know how to pick in the first place. And I'll tell you something. Today, which is now six years after we started Indiegogo, or they started Indiegogo, um, still no one can tell you what your goal should be and with any certitude. So having said that, um, a vast majority of our users choose flexible funding, and many, many people who don't hit their goal are perfectly fine with that and live to fight another day and learn a heck of a lot and get a lot of resources that helps them do their project. If I could ask Tori to maybe, from your experience now where you have multiple people asking you to help them to use crowdfunding, what is your experience as far as how your um, different projects are meeting their goals using crowdfunding? So this kind of goes back, like, when you're saying no one can tell you exactly what your goal should be. I I think no one can tell you exactly what's going to be a successful goal, but um, this is our our firm's opinion is that your goal should be very clearly defined of a specific number for a specific reason. And and that Mm -hmm. comes from, like, 
giving us a chance to really create a good marketing campaign. But if we just say we want $50,000 because it sounds really nice to have $50,000, I personally don't think that that's very passionate and like how how many people are going to hop on that bus. But if you can tell them that you need $10,257 to take this product (laughs) to market, um, it's very clearly defined. And and that's actually where I always – generally recommend that we do we go for our goal we don't do the flex funding um because unless there there's there's certain reasons where partial money could still help a cause um but a lot of times when when the goal is very clear where you need a very specific amount of money to reach flex funding really doesn't allow you to fulfill half of the awards if you're trying to sell a product and you're like oh well we don't have enough to actually manufacture it but thanks for half of the money um it kind of gets messy there but, yeah, we, we just try to be as honest as possible. Mm-hmm. Thank you both. Kathy, would you like to add? Yeah, I just wanted to add um, a competitor of Indiegogo Kickstarter is an all-or-nothing campaign, but they've raised a billion dollars to date. Now, that means that if you don't make your goal, you don't get your money. So that's one of the reasons why uh, Indiegogo, I think I would recommend to most people to get started at. Thank you. Uh, Rachel, do you have a question? Would you? The question from Rachel Owens, who is the longest sponsor for Succession <laughs> Strategy, Critical Mass Radio Show. Give her some love. Hey, you're here. I appreciate your, your friendship. Uh, can we put that, table, that question up to the panel? Uh, Adam, we'll start with you again. Okay, so what, what create, what's a compelling message in a, in a video, like in making the case? Yeah, so I'm sure my colleague to my left will have a lot of, to say about this. Um, I, the, the broad strokes, I would say, uh, first are emphasize your why, your why with an H, um, <laughs> meaning um, not so much what you're doing, not so much what you've done, although you have to do that too, but emphasizing why you personally are doing this is a great rule of thumb to include. Um, helping people resonate with your mission is how I talk about it, like you as a person, your mission as it is being evidenced through the project that you are putting up on the site. So that if I share that mission personally, I want to play with you, join with you, support you um, in making your mission happen. Um, that's, that's, I'll, I'll leave it that as a first thing. There's other things, but what do you think? Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of things. It's just like what makes a good commercial. But I always go back to what I've always viewed Indiegogo from the roots of making videos or making films and funding films. The reason, the, the way that I always explained it to my classmates on why we should go to Indiegogo, um, the way that we talked about it in school was before Indiegogo, when you picked a movie to go to at a movie theater, those were selected by a very, very small group of people to make, the people with the money to make movies. And their choices to make a movie were driven by the public, but not directly. They were driven by what tickets we might buy. Um, when we opened up Indiegogo, or when they opened up Indiegogo, now we had the crowd that, to be able to choose, I want this movie to be made. I want this art to be made. And it's not chosen by the rich, the top. And so we always go back to that. Like, if we want to say, like, this product, the products that I think are so great on crowdfunding are the ones that are, can only be successful through crowdfunding, the ones that you can inspire. Like, we need the crowd to throw in $30 to $50 to fund this product and make something possible. Um, and the reason why is because it's not something that if I walked it over to Warren Buffett, he would give me a million dollars for tomorrow because it's not something super profitable. It's, something, it's a great product or it's a great idea. It's just we need the crowd to make it possible. 
Kathy? Yeah. Another thing you might want to look at is um, if you look at similar products, there's like five years of history out there on Indiegogo or Kickstarter or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you can see in your type of product, how did they sell it? What was their story? Test market your story with your friends. Do they, would they buy into it? So test it with your friends. Test to see what's actually made it on that platform in that category. Thank you. You're listening to Critical Bass Radio live from, actually, Final Fridays, live from Brandman. You're trying to get the right marketing message down so we can all remember how to say it. Corey, I saw that you were interested in asking a question. The question was for Adam, which is what type of products and services are receiving the most success on Indiegogo? It seems like a straightforward question, but when I hear it, I always go to, uh, the first answer is if you go on Indiegogo, you can browse by most funded. You can just go and see. So if that's what you're looking for is who has raised the most money, you can just click that button and you will see that. Are they the most successful? I don't know, right? The most funded are among the most successful, but there are a lot of people who are runaway successes at much lower funding increments than the millions of dollars because they had ideas that they were in a, let's say they're in a job and they have this idea, but they don't believe it can really happen. And so they're going to stay in a job They kind that's of, kind of killing them, but they get off their butt, and they're like, I'm going to see if this works, and I'm going to do a little work with my friends, and we're going to see if we can raise $25,000, and if it does, I'm out of here, and I'm in doing what I love, and they raise thirty-five. Are you going to find them on the most funded button? No, but I would say that is a colossal success of a lifetime, literally, and that those kinds of things happen like every day, maybe every week on Indiegogo, and, uh, you know, some do get showcased and you know like they're on tech crunch and they're whatever like mom leaves work to start you know nutrition service for kids or whatever that happens but a lot of them you don't necessarily hear about so i would caution against looking only in the most funded section where you'll see like the robot dragonfly that might not be something that you're going to get into you know (laughs) um with your million dollars of previous darpa funding you know but um they are successes but just remember that it, success looks a lot of different ways. Would any of the other panelists want to address any of that question or not? We'll move on to another question, simple yes or no. Well, one of the co- is, is a little corollary to that. The question is, how successful do you want to be? Um, there was uh, one gentleman that had, um, he was going to make wooden dice. I mean, you know, rolling dice gambling. And he thought, yeah, just a few little dollars, thousand dollars, right? He ended up having to making nine thousand sets of dice because it just kept going on and on all right would anyone else like from the audience at this point we're taking audience questions i'm looking for the next question yes michael i'm going to restate that for the live audience how many what percentage of the projects receive full funding their goal and the time frame how long do they get to achieve that um, you can, I think right now it's 60 days is the, is how long you can choose up. You can do two days. You can do 30 or 60, whatever, up to you. Um, and for the reasons I was saying before, we actually don't track according to campaigns that reach their goal. I mean, we know, obviously we track everything, but we think it's a less relevant statistic 
for the reasons I was saying before about how many campaigns get funding. Because so often, campaigns don't know what's possible. And to the point that Tory was making, what he was talking about is that it's important to make your case that you say how much you need and what you need it for. But what I was describing is that it's very difficult to predict the result based on any input you can give. So, like, I have 50,000 Twitter followers, 17,000 Facebook fans, got a newsletter of 5,000 people. Adam, how much am I going to raise? Well, does your thing suck? <laughs> are you speaking well about it? You know, are you talking to the Quakers? Those are my questions. It doesn't matter unless you have those questions answered and they are in alignment. So that's why that's, does that answer your question? The answer is I don't have an answer for that particular question because of good reasons, I think. All right. We're still taking. Yes, please, Rose. We're, you're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. This is our first show, and we have another guest or another question coming from the audience. Rose, your question. Do you have to use a video with the question? And the quick answer was yes. And maybe why? Um, you should do a video. You don't have to. Um, there have been campaigns that have been wildly successful without videos. Um, but as a, as a statistic, on average, across the platform, campaigns with videos, I might be misquoting by a few percent, but it's something like uh, outperform those without by 130%. Hmm. So, but you can understand why. I mean, w if you go to a static page that has writing on it and makes a good case, you're convinced-ish. And if you see a static page with writing on it that also has a video with someone behind it telling you about it, that's just you're more convinced. Mm -hmm. Could I ask Tori to add to that since that's probably an area that you have experience in, creating videos for crowdfunding? Yeah, I mean, if you go... It, kind, of, kind of what you were just saying, it does help you can get convinced a little bit more. You can really be concise about something in two to three minutes. But the other thing is just if you look at how a lot of these campaign, campaigns go viral or get shared around, they don't share the campaign as much as you see the video. The video gets rehosted on TechCrunch or something where you learn about the product, and then it links back to the campaign because you can't really embed the, the campaign into, like, a CNN post or something like that. The video is what gets thrown across the media, and maybe some photography gets thrown around the media, and that links back to the campaign itself. Excellent. Thank you both. I see we have another question from the front of the room. Hector. So the question was, do you have to have your idea patented, patented or patent pending before you go to crowdfunding? That's a good question. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I am not a patent attorney. So consult your patent attorney for those kinds of questions. Asterisk. But I would <laughs> disclaimer. Um, you know, I, I can think of campaigns, high-profile campaigns on our site that have entered with patents pending and those that haven't. So, I, I mean, I really would plead no, not enough expertise to answer your question well, but going way back to um, my days when I used to work with screenwriters, screenwriters used to hate taking meetings with studios because they'd say, well, if I pitch them a, my great movie idea they're just going to take it and they're going to make this movie and i'm going and what the only thing i could tell them is you're right they will steal something it, mm -hmm. it might be yours it might not be yours but if you don't take any meetings how are you going to be a screenwriter <laughs> and so i will extrapolate that to your question and say 
Some people will steal ideas and go mm-hmm. try and grab patents on them. But if you don't try harder to take something to market first, uh, you probably will never have any kind of business. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> l- let me mention, um, again, t- discuss with your patent attorney first. Um, but we're now on a first-to-file uh, patent law, so I would suggest talking with your patent attorney before you disclose it to everybody in the world. Just an FYI. Okay. Experts. You're listening to, you're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays <laughs> live from Brandman University. We're going to take a timeout, a short commercial break. We'll be back in about three minutes for the last segment of this show, which we're broadcasting, as I said, live from Brandman University with a wonderful audience in attendance. Thank you. We'll be right back after these words. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. If you came back from lunch today and there was a resignation letter on your desk, which employee would you really, really not want it to be from? More importantly, what are you doing to prevent this situation from happening in the first place? We work with business owners like you every day to design plans that attract, motivate, retain, and reward key employees. Don't wait until it's too late. Contact Bill Black, the exit coach, at 866-370-3774 for a free consultation on how to retain and reward your key employees. That's 866-370-3774. Call today.
Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. By way of review, I'm Rick Franzi. I'm the host of the radio program, and this is our first live show from Brandman. We'll be doing it each month on the last Friday of the month. Next month, it'll be April 25th, and we'll be talking about managing millennials in a workforce. So hopefully you'll be able to listen live or maybe even come down to 16355 Laguna Canyon Road. That's the campus for Brandman University. This time we're in room 120. We'll see where we are next month. All right, we're going to continue with the questions of our panel, and I'm going to turn it to Michelle. Would you like to ask a question? It's pre-funding strategies. Excellent question. I actually um, refer that blog post out to people liberally because I love it. Um, I do. Um, so, yes, there's uh, one key tactic that I, I personally require anybody that I end up working with um, to follow if you want to um, have success or optimal success. And it's a soft launch, hard launch strategy. And what it means is you set a date for your uh, launch, like that you want to bring whatever it is to market, and uh, you call that your hard launch date. But two days earlier than that, you plan to go live on Indiegogo, and you call that your soft launch. And let's say that's a month from now, just arbitrarily. So for the next four weeks, you would have two concurrent little outreach programs going on. One is to your first circle that we mentioned before, because you need to have 20 to 30% of your goal funded before strangers will give you money. So the whole name of the game is don't let strangers show up on your campaign until you're 20 to 30% funded. So to do that, your soft launch in the, is for your first circle. So in the next four weeks, you go to your friends, your family, your key supporters, and whoever, maybe with phone calls, emails, personal appeals, and you say, hey, on Sunday, the whatever, 15th, it's our, we're going to make our campaign live and I need to count on you for a hundred bucks for those ever, blah, blah, blah. We're going to make, you can offer a special perk that's only for the soft launch. And in a perfect world, sell it out so that you say the 50 widgets at $150, retail value 199 and then sold out on Sunday. You haven't even made it uh, official that you've launched yet. So the second outreach in the next four weeks that you're doing at the same time, is you go to influencers, you know, like Tim Ferriss. You go to blogs that have huge readerships in your space, newspapers, magazines, 
whoever, that have large influential groups, but those groups don't know you. And you say, hey, we're doing this amazing thing. I'm launching this widget on that hard launch day, two days after your soft, soft launch day. Are you interested in covering it? Can I count on you to support me, to tweet it out, to write a blog post, whatever? And they say, yeah, yeah. So, but the thing is, you got to promise you will not do it until that day. And so it's called embargoing press, if you've ever heard that. Um, it's the same idea. You, you get promises that people will promote you, but not until the hard launch day. So then what happens is when they do that, they send all of their readerships through a link to your campaign, and they're all strangers. But when they show up, what do they see? They see 20 to 30% funded, and, oh, wow, gee, let's see what they have to offer. Oh, God, it's sold out at the lowest price already? I'm late, right? <laughs> then you have $175 for, like, you know, 50 available, and then they start buying that because they're like, well, it's going up to 199 in two days, or in 50, 50 units left, and it starts the, um, the momentum. It's very effective. I'd like I'd like to open that question up to either of the other two panelists if you have anything to add to Adam's eloquent answer. No, I mean he's had a ton of experience of watching that. I mean we've had the only other thing that we've done to add to that is be as prepared as possible um, on every level, not just to promote it, but to to get questions to adjust. The cool thing about um, these campaigns is you can go; it's a live editable, updatable um, content, so you can go in, and if you put something that might have offended someone or changed something, you can go in there and adjust it as long as no one's already bought that specific perk. Um, and the other thing that we just did for a campaign is we actually had a pre-launch party during the soft launch, um, get some alcohol involved, and people buy more stuff. <laughs> Pro tip. Really or, as, or as we say, publicity, publicity, publicity. However you can get it out to your friends, your friends' friends, Get it out there, hit the soft launch, then go for the hard launch. You're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. I'm your host, Rick. If there, we're taking questions from our large and enthusiastic audience. I'm looking for other hands to be, yes, in the back of the room. We're going to have a crowdfunding legal precedent discussion. And so, Adam, I'm going to look to you again. Adam Chapman. So, okay. First of all, I am not an attorney, so I, my first advice is to consult your attorney for any legal questions. So when you ask, um, maybe I need a clarification of what answer you're looking for in terms of precedence regarding, got could it. I, could I change that to also be what are the risks to companies of doing this? One would be a legal risk, but have you seen any other risk that you should keep in mind as a CEO of a business when you're using crowdfunding? So I guess I'll answer in ways that I think are most relevant. So there's the thing to understand, one thing to understand, is that um, the, the environment of crowdfunding is one where y the campaigner is making his or her case for a contributor to support his plan. And that sort of is it. And it's a social contract, really, more than anything, that ends up getting enforced really more by shame than by legal action in my observation. Again, this is not my, I'm not an attorney. But so to Rick's question about what are the risks, one of the things I like about a crowdfunding um, exercise as a, as a marketing tactic or as you know, something to experiment with is by its very nature, 
a success in crowdfunding is when is where lots of people came. That's what the success is. It's crowdfunding. If there's a huge crowd, you were successful. Conversely, when you make a stupendous failure, it's because nobody came. So if nobody came to your stupendous failure, the good news is not many people saw it, right? And that's one, I mean, I, that's, that's a particular characteristic of crowdfunding because you're not, it's not really like you go out in flames and, you know, in public you know, as much because if nobody shows up, that's why it fails and therefore it's a very small exposure. So I th- that's why I think it's a really elegant testing environment because when you fail, it's because nobody cared. So nobody really cared that you failed, <laughs> you know? Tori, did you want to add to that? Yeah, to add on that a little bit, I think um, even when your award does offer in crowdfunding a pre-order, um, I think a, by definition it's not technically a pre-order. You're supporting an idea or a cause. And so the cool thing where a lot of people, at least the discussions that I've heard where you're saying issues or litigations would be, here's my concept. When it actually comes to market, it comes out different than what you had promised. Um, but what I've seen is a lot of improvement on that stuff. So, like, we were part of a campaign that had an idea for a product, and we had a prototype. But by the time we were funded, we were overfunded by about 400%. And so with that type of success, we were able to increase the quality and increase what that product actually ended up being delivered. It was later than what we promised, but by the time they got it, it was a better product. And I think um, these are your first you know, people that are going to really love your product. And so when they come in and you get to update them and they get to answer questions, these are the people that are going to tell you how to make this product the best product possible. All right, you're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Final Fridays live from Brandman University. Another question from the audience. Cassandra? Thank you. So you've talked a lot about the video, and I'm, I'm completely behind videos being successful and understand why they are. But how... The copy that goes below, how much detail should there be in that? How often do you really rely just on the video? And is that something your organization also does, Tori, or is do you refer people to copywriters and things to do that, or are people really just going to your website to get the additional information? Um, I, no, I think your the copy is just as important, if not more important, to be very specific. Um, people get excited by the video, um, and then, like you, like you were saying, you have to then – do your due diligence and look through what is this company all about? What's this product actually going to do? It's like when you're going to buy anything, you go and look at the technical specs. Is it going to work with what I want? Um, and so that copy is super important. And it can also help convert those people that might have been on the edge of the video got me to the door, like I'm interested, but I have a few more questions. And that where, that's my, where you have testimonials. You might have expert uh, you might even have more videos. Like we've had com- campaigns that have three or four videos that float down below that explain other concepts and other parts of that campaign. Yeah, the text is always very important too. I'm Paul Roberts from OC Talk Radio. I want to thank you all for coming out to this first Friday event here. Um, we've been monitoring the Twitter feed, and we've had some questions come in from Twitter that want to ask. Um, the first question was, how many... Of, do we have any idea what percentage of crowdfunded projects get funded? 5%, 100%? Industry-wide, uh, I can't speak to. But um, <laughs> we talked about it a little earlier. I, you know, um, I was saying that we measure success not necessarily as what projects hit their goal, but what projects leave with more than they came from. 
it came with. So in that, it's nine. It's over ninety percent. So of the, but if I'm going to pin you a little harder here, so what percentage reach their goals? We don't share how many <laughs> campaigns reach their goal because we consider success something different from whether they reach their goal. And we've that's been borne out time and time again. It's not because we're stubborn. It's because we see that as the benefit. So we try and communicate the benefit of crowdfunding, which is that a lot of campaigns leave with a better equipped state to do what they wanted to do than they were when they came. And okay. So Anybody else have any industry statistics on how many get funded? Any idea? And then the other question that came in was kind of a take on the question from the back there. Um, there have been a couple of uh, cases in the news in the last uh, six months or so where people grossly underestimated how much money they needed. So they got funded, and everybody expected to get something, but instead of a half a million, they needed two million or something. So what happens in that case if uh, they still can't deliver? That didn't happen on our side. I don't know. Anyone else want to? <laughs> try again on Indiegogo, huh? Yeah, try on Indiegogo. It'll work better. Okay. No, that's not true. Um, yeah, uh, who wants? Anyone else want to answer? Uh, everybody. Uh, the, the only uh, the only thing that stems from that I, was is a prediction that I have personally on on where the future of crowdfunding might go. Where I think there's a lot of people that understand crowdfunding. I think the audience right now, if you're interested in crowdfunding, you understand that you're backing an idea. You understand that this might be an engineer that has a full-time job, that has a great idea, and you're about to give this person upwards of $100,000, and they've never run a business before. They've never done shipping before. They've never done a lot of different things. So you've got to give them the leeway that this product might be six months, a year later than what they anticipated, especially if they're overfunded. Um, and I think that there's... A type of audience now that crowdfunding is getting so popular that the general public doesn't understand crowdfunding and the fact that when they buy it, you get a lot of phone calls 30 days later, hey, where's my product? I'm like, the campaign hasn't even ended yet. What are you talking? Mm-hmm. We're not going to ship the product. But mm-hmm. I think that those people are going to possibly give a negative feedback on their experience with crowdfunding. And until the general public really understands exactly how all that works, um, we might see a little bit of a negative with when people have such big and overfunded campaigns. But I don't know if you guys have thought about that. And, and, and the only thing that I would say for the future of that, I think that there might, I, I would like to see groups coming together that have experience, that have, um, you know, here's a campaign that was successful or, or that we're coming out with, and we have experience. We've had six successful campaigns. We've delivered on time. We have a lot of back background, and that's where it's kind of going backwards a little bit on um, letting the small guy start up, but giving almost like an incubator system that allows people to, to be like a star of trusted. We know that these guys are going to deliver on time. Um, can you speak to some of your success stories personally, maybe within the last year, something that was really cool? that was outstanding that you guys were just, just want to share? <laughs> um, the, the, the one campaign that I was a part of that, that really blew it out of the water is called the, the Kite Patch, which is a mosquito repellent, wearable mosquito repellent. Um, we came to market on my birthday, July 13th last year. Um, we launched the campaign, and uh, we were trying to get $75,000. Um, we hit that $75,000 goal in four and a half days, and then... We funded about $560,000 is where it ended up, and it got 11,000-something backers. So we had 11,000 pre-orders. Um, and that, the, the cool thing that we were, were stoked on that, uh, obviously the huge success, but also that was 
very specific because of a diff- couple different EPA registrations. That was a very U.S.-based funding. Um, we weren't able to sell our product internationally. Um, so we, the, the backers were almost all U.S.-based, minus the people that pledged to just give money, which we did have a lot because um, part of the, the campaign was also to give back. We, we did the kind of Tom Shoe model where if you bought a patch here in the U.S., we shipped one out to Uganda. Yeah, and yeah, as I say, one of the more um, case studies that you would hear about is called the Pebble Watch. They originally had a goal of $100,000. They stopped the project five days early because they had reached the goal of $10 million. And it was a, uh, a watch um, that would s- go to your iPhone and to your Android so they now had to create 69,000 watches. So. Okay, Adam, can you top those? You know, it's like my it's so, it's so hard to keep track, honestly. Like I always say that I cry like three times a week because I turn on, you know, the computer in the morning. I'm like, "Oh my god, look what amazing things people are doing on this site that, you know, just happened. You know, we've made this platform over years where it used to be I knew every single campaign. I knew the people doing it. I called them. I'm like, you do this, do that, do this, do that. And then it got to where, oh, wow, there was a campaign that happened that I didn't have to talk to. And then it got to there was a campaign that raised a 100 grand that I didn't hear of. And then it got to a million. I was like, what? So at this point, there are a lot of there are a lot of incredible things that are happening without me even knowing they're happening. And that is something I'm very proud of. But I there was um, I work in L.A. that we're based in San Francisco. But I work in L.A. and there's, um, you know, I, I go into this co-working space that I love. And one day I'm just walking in and there's uh, two women sitting there like hunched over their little, you know, their laptop. And they're and I, I'm like, I recognize what the, I look and it's like they're making an Indiegogo campaign. And I didn't know them and they didn't know me. And they just got a space in this co-working facility to, and they started making their Indiegogo campaign. They're based here. Um, they did a campaign called Activist. A-C-T-I-V-Y-S-T, um, where they made these athletic bags out of material they got, I think, in El Salvador. And um, they were cool bags. You could put, like, your shoes in a little pocket in the bottom and stuff. But the uh, the proceeds of their bags went to help girls' um, athletic programs in underdeveloped countries. And it was a little bit Tom Shoes, same thing, you know, give and get. And But they were just two women who were like, what if we did this? And they tried, and they got like $75,000, something like that. I might be off by a little 60 to 80, sixty to $80,000, something like that. Um, and they did it. And so they, you know, in, uh, I think it was El Salvador, and then I want to say Uganda also, but I might be making that up. But it was a South American, African country. And to me, it was not so, I mean, obviously, it's an amazing campaign, but it was the condition that I can stumble upon somebody making, <laughs> making an Indiegogo campaign that makes that kind of impact on the world. It's just mind-blowing great examples all right final question for today's show uh rachel adam what is the financial model do you get paid for flat fee or percentage of amount of money that you are raised there's two structures one is the fixed funding which is all or nothing if you hit your goal you get to keep your money and if you miss your goal you get no money in that structure we take 4% if you hit your goal. And in flexible funding, we also take 4% if you hit your goal. But instead of penalizing you 100% if you miss your goal, we take 9% if you miss your goal. 
So you keep your money, but at a 9%, but there's still an incentive to hit your goal, so you only have to pay 4%. All right, you're listening to uh, Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays, live from Brandman University. This is our first show. We're really excited to have such a great audience and an outstanding panel. We have about six minutes left until the show ends, and I... And, and Tori kind of opened the door for it, but I'd like to come back. Kind of a, the final thing I'd like you to address, kind of two minutes each if you can. What do you think the future of crowdfunding is going to be? And, Adam, I'm going to ask you to start again. It's a very wide, sweeping question. Um, I two think minutes. <laughs> Two minutes. <laughs> I think you're going to, well, okay, I think we'll see um, certain big companies do a blend of equity and rewards-based crowdfunding so that you can, for five bucks, get a thank you. For 50 bucks, you can get a t-shirt. For 100 bucks, you can name a sandwich. And for 5,000 bucks, you can own a piece of the business, that kind of blend. Um, But I also think that there are certain niches that are going to take advantage of Jobs Act equity crowdfunding, where um, they'll appeal very narrowly and deeply instead of widely, um, and that'll be just fine, and everybody can play well together, I think. That's what I think, if that's an answer. Um, so I, I think similarly, there's going to be a lot of change in it. I think there's going to be a lot of big companies going into the market and using this as a tool to launch. A, it could, you could see Nike lo- launching a shoe through this or something like that. But what I really want to focus on is still, I hope that crowdfunding still stays to as to its roots and allows products that would normally not be able to be brought to market to be brought to market. Um, as little as a person that has a full-time job, has a great idea, um, never had the initiative to quit their job and really take it full-time and then hope that one day it would become something. They can really do this on the side and launch something. Um, all the way down to a person that might be a serial entrepreneur, um, an inventor that has 10 great ideas but really only has the money to take one fully to market. If you've ever taken a product out to China and actually started manufacturing it, it it'll take all the money that you have. Mm-hmm. But with crowdfunding, this person who has six, seven, eight great ideas can test them for ten, fifteen thousand dollars and get them out into the market and they might have their lucky ones number four that they would have never been able to get to without crowdfunding. And so that's why I think great products are still on their way through crowdfunding. I think the um what you're gonna see is a little bit of um a more informed marketplace. More people are more familiar with crowdfunding, so they're look, gonna be looking more for specific niches. Um I would see with when the jobs bill um, the equity funding part gets passed, you might actually see potentially even some uh, venture capitalist groups doing, start doing some crowdfunding because I think there's going to be some mixing and matching. And I would expect to see a lot more international growth you know, because um, for equity funding, we're a little bit narrow, but that doesn't mean in the U.K. they have things that are going and passing through. I see their equity funding uh, taking off. So I think crowdfunding is going everywhere. Hey, let's give it up for that. That'd be great, right? All right. As I said a couple times today, you're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show, Final Fridays Live from wonderful Brandman University here on their Irvine campus. I'd like to thank our panelists today. Kathy Margolin, she is the Associate Dean of Brandman University. Tori Tayanaka, who is co-founder and CEO of Sparkhouse. 
And the guest that wins the award for traveling the furthest to be with us today, and he's got that drive on the 405, I would assume, to look forward to, but we love him for doing it, Adam Chapnick, who is Principal Evangelist for Indiegogo. For those of you that are listening live today, uh, the show will be available as a podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other podcasting services. All of our shows are available there. If you'd like to listen to the radio show from the studio, it airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. And Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m., all the shows can be heard live on Internet radio station octalkradio.net. And I'd like to thank uh, Paul Roberts, who was engineering this live show today. I'd also like... That's, that's true. How could I? Yes. And all the work that he put into getting ready for this event. I'd also like to thank Asia Celestino, who is our social media manager. Crystal Nunley, who is the producer both for this live show, but then also our studio shows. Kathleen Shepard works with us to select guests, and she's our guest coordinator. Uh, Bob Segura is a new member of our team. He works with me on our CEO peer group side. I'd like to thank him for coming today. I'd also like to thank Rose Chamora, who's in the room. She's our advertising VP, so she sells the marketing and advertising for the Critical Mass radio show series and none of this would have happened without melissa padani who's our events coordinator let's give it up for melissa and on the brandman side there are too many people to mention but i have to also thank dr deborah ferber she's been outstanding in her support of this vision of having our live radio shows for brandman thank you very much and finally, the man behind the camera, Ken Knowles, has been the videographer. This will be on our YouTube channel, Critical Mass Business YouTube channel, which will be up sometime next week, I assume. All righty then. I'd like to uh, say thank you to everybody who took time out of their schedule to be at, a, at the inaugural cr- uh, Critical Mass radio show, Final Fridays Live from Brandman University. I can't thank the school enough. And the next one is April 25th, 1 to 2.30. We'll be talking about how to integrate millennials and make them successful in your firm. They're a strategic asset. Don't waste them. So this is your host, Rick Franzi, saying thank you for listening, and I hope that all of your decisions will move your businesses in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show, business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 